Uh, Good morning. Welcome to Scarlet City. Uh, If you're new here, my name is Jay O'Brien. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor, and I'm going to read our passage this morning as we begin. Uh, It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Matthew 5, verse 5. Jesus is teaching, and he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount we recently started. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we're seeing that Jesus is uh, teaching about his kingdom, but also how to thrive, how to flourish in life. The term we translate blessed could be understood as flourishing. Flourishing are the poor in spirit. Flourishing are those who mourn. Flourishing are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The earth. Jesus is really getting to the fundamental question of what is life about? How can we thrive? How can we be successful? And this past week, I wanted to know what were some other ideas of success. And so I, I went to Google and I asked Google, uh, how can one be successful in life? And there's a number of different things, but often there are some websites that were talking about the need in order to be successful, you needed to learn how to brand yourself. So in this bit, last week we, gave, we shared some Twitter tips on parenting, and here I want to give you some tips on how to market yourself so you can be more successful. So I found, a, found one article, it's on entrepreneur.com, and their opening statement is, the most successful have an insatiable appetite for doing and saying things that place them at the center of a conversation. Dare I say, Attention. And they thrive on the ups and downs of starting and growing a business. So they are unashamedly saying, look, to be successful, you need to place yourself at the center of attention. And so they gave four ways that you can be uh, memorable. All right, we want to be successful, so here's one way to go about it. Four ways, here we go. First, networking as a way of life. They said, I never look at new or potential contacts, those are people, contacts, for immediate gratification, nor do I try to fit them into a specific category. Rather, I spend my time cultivating a relationship, knowing that if the time is right down the line, they may be an important building block for my success or vice versa. See, I love, they're, they're trying to be nice here. Like, I'm about relationship. I'm not about instant gratification. In this relationship, one day, it can be a building block for my success. It's so noble, so noble of them. Networking as a way of life. Second advice, be physically identifiable. Quote, ever wonder, this is good. I mean, if you want to be successful, ever wonder why certain celebrities or artists walk the red carpet in some absurd getup? Yes, I have wondered. Or why athletes usually resign to wearing uniforms decide to sport some crazy hairdo or tatted up arms. Finding a shtick is often a great way to stand apart from every other person in the room and also make you, makes you easier to spot in big crowds. That's, what, that's good. Uh, third advice is add value. Don't just be a common person. No, in quotes, in general, always be of value to others. Don't think about what you can take. And lastly, become a connector. 
They say, as a connector is different than networking. Networking means you make an effort to meet a lot of people, to expand potential opportunities. But connecting individuals who may benefit from knowing each other without an immediate benefit to you is probably the nail in the coffin of making yourself memorable. So basically, to be memorable, you need, uh, you need, you need others to network and need you, is kind of what they're saying. So that's how to brand yourself. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with branding. I mean, an organization, we're, we're all communicating something in our organizations and us personally. We all have a message that we are embodying. The question is, what is that message? Because if we live and operate and relate in the ways that this is espousing, then people are just contexts. People are means to our end. And really, you won't stand out. Contrary to what they're saying, you won't stand out because this is the way our culture and our world relates. This is what we say about what it means to relate to others. Jesus has a different message. He has a message, but it's very different. And when you get in touch with it, you will stand out. And in Jesus' message, he's outlining it here in the Sermon on the Mount with these Beatitudes. He's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And this morning we look at, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. The term here that we translate meek literally means to be gentle or humble. Uh, It's used all throughout the Bible. We see it in the fruit of the Spirit, where Paul says one of the ways that the Spirit-empowered life is seen is that there's gentleness. It's gentle, it's the same term. Uh, Jesus, in saying this, his first century audience would have thought of Psalm 37, which says, The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundance. In Psalm 27, there's this contrast between pride and humility. And contrary to the message of the world, the, the humble will be the ones that inherit the earth. They will be the ones that experience lasting peace. But you know, we hear this and we're like, yeah. Okay. You know, you can say that, Pastor. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But the world and life has a different message. Pastor, you're just, this is nice Jesus sayings, but life teaches us something different. You see, in life, nice guys finish last. (laughs) In life, we see the selfish inherit the land. So this morning, I'm going to look at, let's consider why Jesus is actually right. How the meek and gentle and humble truly do inherit the earth. How humility and meekness isn't a sign of weakness, but a sign of genuine strength. How the humble live in peace. And I, had, I believe there's five things. So if you've ever thought, Jay always has three points. You're, you know, here's my, my, my time to prove you wrong. And there was a lot more. I whittled this down. So we're going we're gonna to move through uh, this amazing passage in gospel truth. Why the humble truly do live in peace. The first thing we look at is, is really understanding what is success? How do we define success? Humility defines success by faithfulness to God-given values. God-given values. 
For the humble, they're not so much concerned with just the goal. They're concerned with the means. It's not just what one accomplishes, but how one accomplishes it. Uh, the humble are values-driven. They have values that they, stick, that they stick to. And again, the question is, what is success? And so I want you to think about, what is success in your career? What is success for your family? What is success in our church? What is success in life? What would be a successful life? Now, one way to look at it is there's the American way, the American way of success, where more defines success. More money and wealth means success. More knowledge equals success. Uh, more power, the ability to be in control and to call your shots, that is success. More speed, something needs to happen fast, that is success. And yet we see the problems that this way of living and relating brings. We can have more money and wealth, and yet we have more debt. So much knowledge in our information age, but so little wisdom. More power and then abuse. We do things quick, and yet constantly feel anxious. Jesus has another way, and he's outlining here. He's outlining values The kingdom way of success here. See, in the kingdom way, in the Jesus way, blessed not, it's not blessed are the wealthy for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor, the poor in spirit. It's not blessed are those who are always happy. He says, blessed are those who mourn, who live in emotional solidarity with humankind. He says here, blessed, he goes on to say, blessed are the merciful, not the powerful. He doesn't say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for power. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. Humility seeks to be faithful to God-given values. They root themselves in what God has to say about what success is. Also, again, we're asking why the humble will inherit the earth, why they will live in peace. One of those values is that humility listens and learns. Humility is open to the input and feedback from others. There's a number of Proverbs that speak to this. We'll look at just a few. Proverbs 11, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble, there is wisdom. Meekness is wise. Proverbs 18, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. A wise person is wise because they understand there's some things they don't know. They're able to ask questions. They're able to learn and listen to others. There's a posture of wisdom, and it is not the posture of standing in front of everyone lecturing. It is the posture of listening. A mentor of mine uh, was Bill Wellens, and two weeks ago he turned 70, uh, 70 years old. And Bill has been a pastor for years, but he's not someone you will find on the, the pastor preaching circuit. None of you, I'm sure, have ever podcasted his messages. 
Uh, Bill's written, written one book that was published, and most people haven't read it. Uh, but Bill, one of the reasons is he's been so busy investing in leaders. He's responsible for personally having mentored well over 100 church planners, many of the people you may podcast, many of the people you may know. I had the privilege to be mentored by, by Bill. And he's one of those guys, I was hanging out, uh, the pastor in Columbus of Life Point Church, his name's Dean Folks, and when Dean and I met, Dean had met Bill, and we just talked about advice Bill had given. <laughs> he's one of these people, like, oh, the time Bill said this, and the time Bill talked about that. And, and one piece of advice I remember that he gave me really stuck out. He said, one time, he said, Jay, the key to effectiveness in life is not talent or creativity. So the key to effectiveness is not talent or creativity. It's being able to learn. Everyone, I love this, everyone has something to teach you. We can learn from a Buddhist. I want to hear what they have to say about contemplation and quieting my soul. The professor and the construction worker can teach you. You see, the beauty of this and the gift of this, it's the gift of seeing all of life like a classroom. Every person, not just the professors, not just people in our own tribes, even people who are different and outside of our tribes, every person can teach us something about life. I want that for my kids. I want that for, my, for our boys, that they look at life not just what advice they can give to others, but how they can learn. And here's the amazing thing about Bill. I had the privilege of meeting his son, Bill Jr. And this was during our church planning cohort, and we went and met with Bill, and Bill Jr. was an executive pastor at a large church in Nashville. And we sat down with him, and, and his first statement was, listen, I know you guys are here because you think I have some tips, but I want to learn from you. You guys are church planners. You guys are on the cutting edge of culture. And he just peppered us with questions. Do you see what Bill Wellens passed on to his kids? He didn't just lecture them. He modeled listening and learning. And now his children are doing the same. Humility listens and learns. It looks at every person, every situation, every season as an opportunity to grow. Why the humble will live in peace. They live by God-given values. They listen and learn from others. But also humility, it makes space for others to flourish. Humility makes space for others. Do you know the feeling of being with someone in a room or a conversation where you feel very small? Very small. And they feel very large. Often this is what it's like to be in the, the presence of a narcissist where everything is funneled through them. They have the antidote. They define the questions. Their presence just makes everyone else feel really small. This reminds me of the SNL skit uh, Penelope. Anyone seen Penelope on SNL? She's amazing. Um, Penelope, and if you're not familiar with it, I'll give you a few examples. Penelope, when someone else is talking, they have a screenshot of that person. And then Penelope will just rise up in the middle of the screen and take whatever the conversation is and make it about her. So here's a, a few examples. When someone says that I found out my ancestors came over on the, on the Mayflower, 
Penelope says, my answers came over on the April flower, so they got here one month before yours did. When someone says, I met Kermit the Frog, Penelope responds, I'm friends with all the Muppets, even Scooter. I went to all their weddings. When someone says, I had a salad today for lunch, just sharing about a salad. When someone says, I had a salad today for lunch, Penelope says, well, I have a salad bar in my car. The crouton is the steering wheel. Yeah, and these kind of skits, this works because, you know, it says something about some of the ways we relate and others relate with us. <laughs> this temptation to turn any conversation, any question as an opportunity to put ourselves at the center. Humility, though, it makes space for others. It asks questions. It wants to learn from others. It gives others space. It doesn't fill the room, fill the conversation with just their presence. And, and one of the things that this this space does is that humility is ambitious for the success of others. They just don't make space. But the humble take genuine delight in seeing others thrive, in seeing others flourish. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others not just as significant, but more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And I love Paul because he keeps going. He's like, once he introduces Jesus, he can't help. He just unpacks all the humility of Christ. And what Paul is saying here, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Look not only to your own interests. Is he saying that ambition is wrong? He's not. He's not saying ambition is wrong. He's saying selfish ambition is wrong. You see, the humble, it's tempting to see, well, a humble person just doesn't care. No, they care. They care. They just care about something in a work just, that's more important than themselves. They promote others. They're ambitious for the success of other people. Uh, C.S. Lewis puts it this way in his book, Mere Christianity, a great quote. He says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is God, pride is gone. And isn't this just so true? so true. It's hard for us to enjoy a thing apart from how we relate and compare to others. And if I could just be frank, man, I struggle with this. I grew up, and for me, man, I was uber competitive in sports. I was the kid in, L in gym class that would cry when our team lost at dodgeball. And that's not an exaggeration. You can talk to people. In the, I, I, on, on recess, everything was unfair. If the teams weren't fair, I was upset and angry. But you know, life requires maturity. And even today I struggle. If you play board games with me, I'm the person you love to beat because you know inside I'm like, I really care. And if we're playing Settlers of Catan, you know, and you put that robber on me, I'm going to get back at you. 
But thankfully, in God's grace, there's been maturity. Still a long way to go, but maturing. And I think one of the ways that God has humbled me and a discipline that he's brought is learning, you know, rather than competing with everyone, what if we just, we're all on the same team? What if rather than competing with other churches, we're like, hey, we're all part of this kingdom together. A win for you is a win for us. And friends, that's how we need to see other people. They're human beings just like you and I. Their success is an opportunity for us to celebrate. Let's be ambitious for the flourishing and success of others. We're talking about why the humble will live in peace. And fifth and finally, humility marvels at the genuine strength and gentleness of God and others. Humility marvels at God's genuine strength and His gentleness. You know, there's a temptation as we began. There's a way of living that is presented to us. And we could say it is the kingdom of man, the kingdom of life apart from God. And that kingdom says, make life about you. Build your personal brand. Platform yourself. Leverage relationships so that you can can succeed. Stand out by being brash and confident and having the answers and, and being the answer for others. And when others say something you don't like, go off on them. Reject them. Dismiss them. Don't learn from them. This is the kingdom of man. And you can see this everywhere. You see it on cable. You see it on news. We see this on social media. We are all shaped by this kingdom, by this way of living. What we need is not to just see Jesus guilting us into be humble, people. No. That won't change you. What we need is we need to see the beauty beauty of Jesus, his goodness, the strength that he has. So let's look at Jesus, how he embodies this wisdom. You know, it's interesting as this week I was reading the Beatitudes, Jesus never calls us to do something he doesn't do. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He became poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus grieved. He'll say, blessed are the merciful. He was merciful. He thirsted for righteousness. He was persecuted. And he was meek. He was humble. Let's marvel at that for just a minute as we, as we wrap up. Jesus embodied humility. Jesus was committed to God-given values. He was committed to God-given values. In fact, why was he able to be so humble? He had genuine strength that no one else could shake. You know, there's times like when he's before Pilate and he's on trial and Pilate's mocking him, mocking Jesus. What do you do when you're about to die and you're, you're, you have the power of God and someone shows up and starts mocking you? Man, I've experienced lesser offenses and I've gone off on people. Oh, we're going to mock, are we? And Jesus, he just takes it and he actually goes for Pilate's heart. He's humble in his response. He doesn't respond in kind when others mock him because he has the strength 
He has this strength that's rooted that, no, that others can't take away. You know, the crowds, people will leave him. He will be crucified. And Jesus, he doesn't change because his identity is rooted in something bigger than his circumstances. He knows who he is. He knows why he's here. Jesus is committed to God-given values so others might leave. And that's okay. Also, Jesus, he listens to others. He's always asking questions. And sometimes those questions, you know, they, they often really penetrate to the heart, but other times Jesus really wants to know. He's really wanting to know, what do others say about me? Jesus, he prays. He, he prays. He depends on God. He communes with the Father. We see his humility, his dependence. Also, Jesus, he makes space for others. He's making space. Again, you know, thinking if I were Jesus, I would always be the center of everything. And I'm struck by this episode, was meditating on it this past week, where after his resurrection... In the Gospel of John, Jesus, he's at the graveside and he encounters Mary Magdalene. And Mary is weeping. She's afraid because Jesus' body isn't there. And Jesus gives her space. He doesn't interrupt her. He's actually just standing behind her. And, she, and then she finally notices him and says, thinks he's the gardener. And asked, where did he take the body? And Jesus, his response, you know, in, that, in those moments, I would, if I... I would walk in and be like, Jesus, woo! Back from the dead, Mary. You're welcome. Have hope. Jesus, he's just patient. Honors the pain that she's having. He gives her space to grieve. And his first, the first name he drops is not his own. He says, Mary, Mary. And then she knows. She hears her name, and then she knows. Jesus makes space. He honors people. He doesn't overwhelm them with his presence. He doesn't come in and say, what's wrong with you? He gives space. And lastly, Jesus is humble. He is ambitious for others. He's ambitious for others. He suffers for others. It is why his invitation that we began our gathering with today, and we didn't plan this, we started this morning, Matthew 11, Jesus' message, his platform, his, what he invites us to is not a life of earning your success, Branding yourself just right so others will remember you. What he wants us to remember and know is this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We don't have to be super men and women. We can rest in the humble yet strong arms of our Savior. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you. 
for Jesus. May we marvel at him. May we not see the gospel as just some theoretical good news, but may we see the person of Jesus, his humility, his strength. And God, transform us. The world is weariful. And the message is constantly inviting us to earn more, do more, find our identity in all that we accomplish. And God, may we just rest in you and in your son. It's in his name we pray, amen.